Hey, this is Sebastian the Jet. You are listening to Soccer Subs. This is Jordan Stewart, and you're listening to Soccer Sub. Go listen. Hey, this is Rob Stone from Fox Sports. You are listening to the Soccer Subs Podcast. The Soccer Subs Podcast. It's game on. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Soccer Subs Podcast, episode 44. My name is Ronnie. I'm joined here with my three Soccer Subs co-hosts, Christian, Eric, Hugh. And man, we're starting off 2022 with a new Soccer Subs co-host. His name is Voss. You've probably seen him also on our previous episodes. Welcome, Voss. Happy New Year. How are you guys doing? Well, first of all, I think a round of applause for Voss because he more than deserves it. We're so happy you get to join us and we get to uh, just talk soccer about so many things that have been happening. The new year started with just fired transfers, club situations, player situations. So looking forward to talking it with you guys. Gentlemen, thank you so much for officially having me to be part of the team. I can't wait to cover all the oncoming news for this incredible year that we have ahead of us. Yeah, this is a this is an exciting episode. First time we've got five people on one recording. We're going to see how this one goes. I think it's going to go really well. Uh, I think we've got some great stuff to talk about. So I'm not going to get into this one. From sub to like starter at this point, you should just name ourselves, you know, the soccer starters. But no, no, listen, we're already off to a whole new year. There's so much going on. And I'm looking at it now. It's been nine days in January. It's already been a crazy week. Is it 2012? I mean, Dani Alves just started for Barcelona. And, you know, Zlatan scored amazing goals today. You know, what what year are we in? It's, It's incredible. And I can't wait for the rest of the year to go on. Absolutely, Eric. Yep. Well, for the soccer fans, it's our first episode of 2022. We got a big show for you guys today. We got a special guest joining us in just a little bit. He's a former player who's played for the clubs such as Real Salt Lake, FC Dallas, Minnesota United. Probably seen him as a commentator for Nashville SC on TV. We got the one and only Jamie Watson joining us in just a little bit. Really excited to talk to him. Jamie, great guy over there in Nashville. Really excited to just talk his career, MLS, and some Nashville. But before we get to that, we got some soccer news to get into. Ricardo Pepe is official to Augsburg. We last reported that he was going to Wolfsburg. Well, that changed real quick. Lorenzo Insigne to Toronto FC is signed and official. He's joining the club this upcoming summer, July 1st. They can't come soon enough. Can't wait to see him in action. Real Salt Lake have new ownership. David Blitzer and Ryan Smith. And we got some up, we got some transfers. We got our boy James Sands to Rangers from Scotland. We got Daryl DK going over to West Brom and Felipe Coutinho going to Aston Villa. So some big moves coming up in the in 2022. It's already been nine days and already some some big transfers there. And yeah, fellas, we got to get into the soccer news real quick. One of the biggest news is Lorenzo Insigne coming over to Toronto. I got to ask you guys, love it or hate it? What do you guys think on this move? Is it good for the MLS? Eric, man, let me just start it with you real quick, man. What do you think on uh, Lorenzo Insigne coming over to Toronto? It's, it's, it's all about the money, you know. It's just all about the money because, no, nah, no, nah, I'm just kidding. No, nah, I think, you listen, I think that's a great move for MLS. You know, you get picking up a European champion recently from this past summer. Obviously a great addition. I think he's actually going to have a better career than Giovinco had. You're picking him as, like, you know, as the prime of his career. He's going to score goals. Will he win an MLS Cup? I mean, come on. Toronto is still Toronto, and their defense is awful. But, no, it's a great move, and I, I can't wait for the upcoming season. I can't wait. Well, you know what? Hopefully we get him in a, an episode in the future. You never know. You never know. Soccer subs is a move. All right, yeah. Boy, Voss, love it or hate it, man. Lorenzo Insigne coming over to MLS. 
bit of a mixed bag of emotions because on one side we have bringing in one of the faces of the Italian national team, a recent Euro Cup winner, possibly the biggest player out of Napoli since Maradona because he's been there his entire career. So he's just loved by everyone in that city. So it's a great signing if you want to win now. And Toronto FC has a lot more issues than just their forward lineup defensively speaking they needed to improve goalkeeping wise they needed to solidify a number one goalkeeper because they were just mixing and matching throughout last season but i'm hoping it's a good move for everyone involved both toronto and the mls but i think historically we've seen a lot of players come into the league on huge contracts and usually under deliver and a lot of people have been comparing his move to Jibinko's move from Juventus in 2015. But the biggest difference, in my opinion, is the fact that Jovinko came to the league as a failed prodigy. He had something to prove. He was a little younger and seven mil is nothing to squander at. It's a great amount of money, but he had something to prove. I think Insigne coming with the CV that he has being a Euro Cup winner, I don't just see it panning out. I think he's just here for the money, guys. I hope I'm wrong, but I think he's here for the money. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of in the same mind that I don't want people to see this as Giovinco part two. I think like it's very easy to see it that way, right? Italian player coming out of Toronto FC, like, but uh, everything that boss said sort of rings true about this. I think my one problem with it is he doesn't have pressure. Like boss said, like there's no real incentive. He's coming off the biggest win of his career. He's coming off a decent stretch with Napoli. And what is it in here? Like, what is it in the MLS that he has that he didn't have back there? I mean, he had at least another two years in Italy if he wanted to, uh, but like, what is he coming here for? I think he's coming here, honestly, to play in the States, to like get the experience of, of, of playing around like a massive country and to make some money. And I think, sure, is he going to try? Yeah. Is he going to put his back into it like he's playing at Napoli or like he's playing in, in the Euros? I don't want to make a big sweeping judgment. I don't think he will. Now, is he going to be a step above a lot of what the MLS is, is like playing at right now? Maybe. But the problem is he needs to be part of a team that's also a step above. And I don't know if he's going to slot right into Toronto like that. I don't know if Toronto is going to be able to build a team that just snaps the way that Napoli used to. I think he might not be really effective for them. That said, I'm excited to watch him play. I mean, he's a very talented player and I can't be sad about him coming into the, coming to the MLS. But I think we got to watch out for what's actually going to happen once he starts playing. Uh, just to quickly piggyback on what Voss and, and Hugh was saying, it, it's important to remember, I don't want this to be a situation where David Villa, where he came in, he exploded, he scored a lot of goals, but it just wasn't the right time. They were in a rebuilding process. And I think defensively, I mean, the second worst record in the league, they got a lot of goals scored against. So that's something that they need to fix first in order for him to be successful up front. But Overall, I mean, you bring in a European champion six months ago. Uh, he won this tournament and you, he's coming to MLS. It's huge. It's a huge move and something MLS should be proud of. But like I said, Bob Bradley needs a lot of work done, uh, a lot of work to do defensively in order for the team and Insignia to succeed. And fellas, let's just talk real quick. Uh, let's get to the Premier League. We got the standings where Man City is at 53 points, blowing Chelsea by 10 points. Liverpool third, Arsenal fourth, and Man U down on seventh. So I think the question for you guys for this episode is, what do you guys think is going on with Man U? Man U struggles. I mean, Hugh, let me just start it with you, man. What do you think is going on with Man U? And do you think they could pick it back up for the rest of the season? I think we were talking about this a little bit before recording. I think 
I'm I'm of the mind that it's a perfect storm for them, or actually the opposite, right? Like an imperfect storm for them. They have a big problem with the managerial turnover. I mean, it's been like rough since Sir Alex left, but it's pretty rough right now. Uh, and then also they have a team turnover problem where they don't have the strongest squad they've had in a while. And I think the move for Ronaldo at the beginning of the season was the right idea, right? Like try and bring it back to what it was. The problem is when we see that happen a lot recently is it doesn't work out the way that people think it is. And I hate to harp on this example again, but Xavi coming back to Barcelona didn't fix everything immediately. The same way Ronaldo coming to United as a player isn't going to fix the same thing immediately. So like, obviously it's a good idea to get the fans thinking, all right, we're going back to how, how like we wanted it to happen. And Man United's ownership needed to do that. They've been horribly unpopular recently. So they needed to show signs of wanting to do business and, and play a style that they used to play. The problem is they're not equipped to that. And like, frankly, unless they can bring back all the players from 2008, they can't play that style again. They're a different team. They've got better players, well, better players, if you want to look at it, but they've got different players and they've, they've got to play a style that suits the players and the talents they have. And the problem is they're sort of stuck in limbo right now between playing a failed style that didn't work under all a and trying to revert to what they had before. And to be honest, unless they switch it around before the end of the year, I don't think they're going to make any difference in the league from where they are. I think they're probably going to finish out of Europe and they're going to middle around seventh, ninth, maybe even up to fifth if they're lucky. I mean, fifth would be Europe, but I don't see them turning it around big time and, and or even making a rush near the end. I think they'll be lucky if they can play European football next year. I think in, in all honesty, it's a tough patch for them. I mean, listen, you know, Manchester United's struggles are... I think it's more so a mentality thing. It's always been a mentality thing and it's still a mentality thing. You know, obviously when Ferguson was there, he implied this mentality of, you know, kind of like win, and, win or lose, you know, it's just, you have to win. This mentality of winning, just this Manchester United were a winning club when Ferguson was around. And after he left, they just haven't won anything. And I guess people don't know the idea of, you know, tough love. I mean, we live in an era with, you know, snowflakes and stuff to put it like that. But, um, once you get tough love, if you get criticized, you tend to, you know, wrap yourself or, you know, constructive criticism is often seen bad. And obviously these group of players don't like criticism. For example, from senior members like Ronaldo, you have players like Ronaldo, Varane, De Gea, if they speak up, Fernandez, if they speak up, players like, I, we've been hearing rumors of players like Shaw, Maguire, not liking the criticism. First of all, listen, I know Manchester United were already at a disaster when they named Maguire captain. Have you seen, have you seen the man try to defend? But listen, when they named this man captain, I, I'm like, you, this is who you want your young players to look for leadership and guidance. Really? 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 Is that, is that, is that really what you want? This, this club is honestly, most of the players don't want ambition. It's all about money at this point. And for those who want to say it's Ronaldo's fault, uh, it's, it's ridiculous, man. First of all, look, Real Madrid, when he left, did they struggle? No, not at all. Did anyone complain about Ronaldo? Not at all. He goes to Juve. Different type of mentality the players there. What happens? Pirlo gets sacked, unemployed. Sadi. Oh, everybody said Sadi was a great coach. What? Sacked? Where is he at right now with Lazio? Eighth place. Unsuccessful. Horrible coach. Juve right now. Fifth place. Come on now. Manchester United. Second place last year, seventh place this year. It doesn't matter if you're second, if you're seventh. The only difference is Europe. Aside from that, Second place, seventh place, you're still losers. Second place, your first place loser. It doesn't matter, okay? Manchester United are not a serious club. They are not taking things seriously at this point. And when players are questioned about 
how committed they are to win, that's when all this happens. It's just a thing about mentality that needs to be changed at this club. And for God's sake, take McGuire's captain, Ben. Amazing points from all you guys. Eric, I think the mentality aspect is very important because they've been a winning club since as long as I can remember. All the teams under Ferguson always were competitive. Whether you're not winning the league, you were at least competitive and you had an attractive product on the field. So you got to please the fans, whether you were second or seventh, let's just say. But I think that the issue with Man United right now is that they don't give anyone enough time to try to build the squad in their image. I think Mourinho had it best. He had the most time out of everyone just because, and he actually delivered. He, he won something with them. And because of the players, he ended up getting the sack. Ole comes in. He's a better man manager. He's the, like we say, the, the gym teacher that everyone likes. Let's everyone do whatever they please. And what did that give everyone? The hope of a second place finish and improvement. But that was all just smoke and mirrors, which I had said from the moment they appointed him. Because you can't dictate a man's career off of one game, which the board decided to do when he had a result against PSG. So bringing in Ralph Ragnick, and I'm a fan of the New York Red Bulls. I've kept in touch with all the Red Bull affiliated teams ever since Ralph Ragnick was appointed. And the biggest take that I have is you need to give this guy time to both implement his style of play and his mentality because all of his teams are hardworking teams. They all cover ground. They all cover each other's spaces. They know where to be positionally, whether it's your number six or your captain at center back. And McGuire's, like Eric said, I don't see him as the, the skipper that Manchester United needs right now. He should be stripped of his captaincy immediately in my personal opinion after having a lot to say to the criticism which they rightfully deserve so i would just love to have ralph ragnick given a little more time and to switch that 4-2-2-2 he doesn't have the squad to play that formation so if he would just stick to 4-2-3-1 the players are more familiar with the formation they can possibly get the best out of the players like Pogba, Fernandez, and hopefully Ronaldo being the focal point of that attack. But we just got to wait and see because that's something that the, the fans or the board are not willing to do. So I hope everything works out well, but it's only looking bad. I don't think the, the next manager is going to be happy to take over this squad of players who are not ready to play for him or not ready to even play for the shirt itself. Uh, I mean, just two things to touch on. We spoke about it on earlier episodes when we said that they should have just probably left Michael Carrick deal with this situation uh, from the few games that he, he was coaching. He looked promising because he knew the locker room. And that's the next point that I want to make. The next problem was the locker room. Now a lot of people say, well, maybe Ole wasn't, uh, wasn't that bad, but... I, I would say this, you can't just go back from being a competitive team playing against the Champions League finalists last year and not losing a game against them for last season against Manchester City. They didn't lose a game against the the, the final of the Champions League. Um, sorry, the Champions League finalists. They play very well in those uh, in those games. And you can't tell me that a system 
that was already built, that was in progress, comes in and gets destroyed just like this in in, in this season. I, I just find it hard to believe. So it definitely has to do a lot with the egos and the people in the locker room. And in order to do that at the elite level with this big club, it's not easy to do. There's a reason why Zidane didn't want to take this job. You would ask him as soon as Ferguson left if he would have loved to take the job. I'm pretty sure his answer would be different. There's not too many people that want this job. The only people that wanted this job are people who were in the Premier League who were unemployed. And it's a big risk because right now, Rev Ragnick's reputation is on the line. And like you said, uh, Vaz, this needs to take time. Just going back to what Andres Cordero said to us on the first episodes of the program, of the show, he said about for a coach to implement a philosophy, it takes minimum at least 40 sessions, 40 training sessions in order to have an idea. So you guys are judging Rav Ragnar in, what, nine games? And he's only lost one, but he still needs time. And like you said, there are pieces that need to be put together. And he needs to get them now because right now it's chaotic. Right now they don't have the pieces to make it to the Champions League for next year. They're in seventh place. People are not running. People are disorganized. And the cohesiveness needs to be done right away because otherwise they are drifting away from any spots in Europe. So one last thing though, that I want to touch on is the importance of having leaders in the group. And I agree with Eric. I think there are some people who need to step up, who need to show why they are the, the people, the, why they have the reputations of leaders. They have to come together to work this out. This, otherwise, this is just going to be continue to be a big mess for this season, for the next season, and who knows when it, this is going to stop. Appreciate that. It's all about the tough love. So, yeah, let's keep an eye on Man U. Hopefully, uh, things go well with uh, Ralph Ragnick. And by the way, there's we'll probably talk about this in the next episode, but uh, there's already rumors of Zinedine Zidane being the next head coach for PSG and Pochettino possibly being linked as a head coach for, uh, for Man U coming up next. So we'll keep an eye on that as well. And all right, guys, appreciate all your takes. Uh, let's get to our special guest, Jamie Watson, former player for Real Salt Lake, FC Dallas, Minnesota United, seen him on TV with Nashville SC. And super excited to talk to him. And Jamie Watson's coming up next. Let's go. All right, soccer fans. We got a special guest joining the Soccer Sales podcast today. He's a former 12-year soccer pro who's played for clubs such as Real Salt Lake, FC Dallas, Minnesota United. You can catch him on TV now as a TV analyst for MLS's Nashville SC. It's been a crazy season, but we're super glad we have him on board. Let's please give a warm welcome to the one and only Mr. Jamie Watson. Assuming everybody's doing that at home too, Sandy. (laughs) Jamie. (laughs) Jamie, thank you so much for taking the time. We always say you could be doing a million other things. So thanks for coming on with us. We really appreciate it. And um, just to start off, we know it's been a crazy MLS season, you know, but just overall, how have you been and how's everyone reacting over there in Nashville? How's everyone doing? over there well first of all thanks for having me on you've had a great group of already uh well-established guests on there and up and coming people as well and people will be talking about in the future too you got the whole range of it so thanks for letting me for jumping on here and uh, and for being able to chat with you guys too um it's been a crazy year right and and getting to be a part of it with nashville has been really special for me just finished up my second year um the tv analyst 
has been a lot of fun. This has sort of been a second career for me after playing. And as you mentioned, I played for a long time, but I'd love to be able to do this new career for two, three, four times as long as I did the first one. And unfortunately, God willing, hopefully I'll be able to, but um, it's the next, next best thing to playing. I tell you what, like there's, there's no replacing it, right? It's the only thing I ever wanted to do was play soccer. But when that comes to an end, being able to stay involved, I know Christian, obviously you're, you're coaching and, and you guys, Ronnie, you're doing this podcast where you're staying connected with players and people in and around soccer. I just get to talk about soccer and, and it's great. It's what I do anyways, when I watch a game on the couch, like everybody else, I just got to do it to a microphone. And remember, don't cuss. Absolutely. There's some people that just can't get away from the game. I hope, you know, we're doing this at 67 years old. <laughs> Absolutely, Jamie. And hey, just before we talk some MLS, we just wanted to talk some early beginnings, you know, just looking you up, looking up your career. One thing that stood out to me, we saw that you went to the University of North Carolina. You went to school there till you were a sophomore, and then you left to sign a generation Adidas contract. You know, looking back at that now, now that, you know, we're older, you know, was that a risky move? You know, kind of like, what was that mentality? Like, you know, I don't know if like a lot of people would pull it off now. Maybe some people will finish college, but looking back at it now, just what were your emotions during that time? Ryan, that's a great question. I haven't been asked that question in a, in a long time, probably by my parents at like Thanksgiving a couple of years ago or something like that. I don't know. You know, I like to think that I, I try not to regret anything, right? Because whatever we've done has got us to this point. And so um, you go and change one thing, the whole butterfly, butterfly effect, right? Where everything else changes after that. And so I'm really happy where things are now, but I really understand what you're saying with the question. Cause I was, I was 18. I was at a great school, North Carolina Chapel Hill, very fortunate to be able to be there. And I knew for me personally, I wanted to, to leave and go pro because that's all I ever wanted to do. And college was sort of a means to an end to be able to do that. But I do think that maybe I missed out a little bit on college. Um, even before that, I only went to two years of like normal high school because I went to the residency program. And then we went straight from there to North Carolina. And I was only there for, you know, three semesters. And because the way the fall semester for college soccer, you know, it was two seasons, but then I was out right away. So, you know, I, I sort of, sped through a lot of that and fast forward through it all but then I got to turn pro at 18 I was experiencing a lot of things there but yeah there's probably still some growing up to do that I needed to do along the way that I think if I went back now would it be to appreciate more of that time I was there even if it was a semester longer or two semesters longer and I would hopefully grow up a little bit more to be a little bit wiser when I came into league because I was 18 and I knew it all, didn't I? You know what I mean? So I think I would have been probably my career would have been better served to have a little bit more maturity. But you were telling me I could go play pro soccer. And that's all I ever wanted. That's why I think I jumped at the opportunity. Absolutely. I think a lot of people would probably do the same. So no, th thanks for that, Jamie. And just right after that, Jamie, we saw, you know, you got drafted 13th overall in the 2005 MLS Super Draft, Rail Salt Lake. But we saw you were born and raised in Texas. So just wanted to ask you, what was that adjustment like going over to Salt Lake City, Utah? And just like, what was that first year for you in the MLS like? Uh, Salt Lake City in Utah, it's a hidden gem, right? If you've never been, you don't know about it. You're going to sort of be like Salt Lake, really. It's a wonderful place. And, and now I'm, I'm a dad. I've got three kids. I look at that. I'm like, that's a wonderful place to, to raise your kids. If you ever want to see just like the real good, true beauty of Salt Lake City, follow Brian Dunseth, who's the commentator there. I played with him um, all three years I was there and he was wonderful to me. 
Um, I take it back. He got traded along the way. Um, I think he got traded for a bag of, of golf balls. They weren't even like Titleists. I think they were like Dunlop. Um, he, uh, he was like a big brother to me, man. He always gave me crap every chance he got. So I never, I never miss a chance to give him a hard time, but he he's always out and about with his kids. The guy's borderline the mayor of Salt Lake now and of real Salt Lake. It's like, uh, he's done an incredible job of making himself integrated with the club. He scored uh, the first home goal and literally picked the flag up and like planted it into Rice Eccles stadium. It was this iconic moment for Salt Lake. And, um, he was really influential to me as a player, but then also as a broadcaster trying to make that transition because he did it and he's done it so well, but he's always, you know, uh, tweeting out and, and posting on Instagram pictures of going on hikes with his kids and just the beauty of Salt Lake. And it's a, it's a wonderful place. Um, and I, I was fortunate to live out there for three years. I loved it. Look forward to it every time the away match on the schedule comes up with Salt Lake. I'm always like searching around, like, where is that one? And I always can't wait to get back out there and visit. It was very good for the time being and happy to uh, gotten to start my career with John Ellinger out there. You know, what's interesting. Coach Freddie Juarez used to coach us Salt Lake recently. He said there were some great street tacos, so we can't wait to try them. <laughs> Chef's kids. Really Freddie, Freddie will know. Freddie will validate. He's, he, he knows the stuff out there and he did a great job with the club and uh, I'm excited to see what he can do with Seattle, but some great food. You ever get a chance to go out there, go to a place called Cafe Rio. It's my favorite burrito spot. Think like when you make the burrito, they put some salsa verde on top, whatever you want. They got different kinds of salsas on there and a little bit of cheese and they run it through sort of like the, um, the conveyor belt microwave, like Quiznos. If you remember that like sandwich place where they heat it up and they melt the cheese on top of it. The problem was, boys, I had too much Cafe Rio when I was out there, so I never could stay in shape. I was eating Cafe Rio two or three times a week. It was incredible. <laughs> There's one in the airport. If you ever have a layover in, in Salt Lake, anybody that's watching this, find your way to Cafe Rio and, uh, and don't hold back. It's delicious. <laughs> we're, we're taking notes. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, I'll find a good food spot wherever I go. <laughs> now, well, you were talking about your experiences, Jamie. Can you tell us a little bit about what you learn or some things that you learn during your playing career. One of the big things that I learned in your, in your career, whatever it is that you do in life, right? Because sports is, is it's a, it's a glamorous profession, right? Like it's, it's great to watch and to see and to be part of, and a lot of people connect with it, but soccer player doesn't necessarily just define who you are. Like you're a person outside of it. That's just sort of your career and what you do. And I think no matter what, this is the biggest mistake I got. Any young player I would talk to, I worked my whole life to get to the top level, which is major league soccer. Um, and I got there and then everything that I did, all that work that I was doing to get to that spot, somehow I thought, well, I've made it, I've arrived. So I don't need to do the same level of effort two days and all the grind and, and everything to get to that point that I did 10 times over because I just wanted to be there. And, and then I stopped. And that was the young naive part of me that thought just because you get to the top of whatever it is that you do, by the way, there's also the next you that's looking at you going, I want to be there and I'm going to take that spot. And I think of that as broadcasting right now too. Like I know I have to be my best. I've got to put in the work. I've got to prepare. I've got to do everything because there was a point in time when I wanted this position and there was another person in this, not here at Nashville because the team wasn't a major league soccer yet, but you get what I'm saying. Like there's only 27 TV analysts in major league soccer. There might be 2,700 people that would take my job tomorrow if it was offered. So I have to be appreciative of it. I have to work hard. I have to make sure that I'm outworking everybody else that wants to do it. And so I think that 
that's one thing I learned that I think no matter what it is that you do, that same drive that you have to get to the top, if you're lucky enough and fortunate enough to get there and things go your way, you got to keep doing it. Like nothing stops, nothing changes. Like, and that's what I think I'd lost sight of as a young pro found it a little bit midway through my career. And I was able to start kind of re rising in the ranks, but ultimately my time as a player ran out before I could get back into major league soccer. And then I took that with me in broadcasting and I swore up and down in the second career. I'll never get to that point where I don't prepare. I don't work hard. I don't be appreciative. I don't treat people right. That's why I think that, hopefully I'll learn from the mistakes in career one that hopefully I don't make in career two. No, that says a lot about you. You, you know, you seem like a, such a humble person and it's inspirational because consistency and being able to maintain that is key. So Thanks. I appreciate like you guys, that. Right. Like you guys, you guys are doing this podcast, right. And what happens if we start adding zeros behind the followers and, and the viewership number starts going 10 X, hundred X, you know, 1000 times what's currently viewing it. Right. If you get to that point, you get the most successful soccer podcast. Are you still going to stop reaching out to the people? Are you still going to stop doing the, the prep work to get it? Like, hopefully not, because that's what we all strive to do, right? We're all getting to that point where that'd be the best. If I could tell you right now, you know, with some hard work in a couple of years' time, you could be the best soccer podcast out there. You boys would be like, let's go, let's roll up the sleeves, let's, let's do it. And then when you get there, then you got to stay there, right? And that's sort of what you know, I, I lost sight of, and I try to make sure that anybody, whatever it relates to, whatever it is that you do, if you're going to do it, be the best at it and keep working and treat people right along the way, because same way the elevator goes up, the elevator goes right back down. So if you're giving middle fingers on the way up to people, when you're going up to the top level of success, <laughs> when that elevator starts to come back down, you got to go past those same people. So absolutely, just absolutely. Get that, you know, well, Jamie, let me tell you, the first thing we're going to do, if we do end up in those numbers and get in the studio, you'll be the first one to fly to New York and be in our recording. Let's <laughs> <talking go>. <laughs> I'll tell you what, and then we can get that, the graphic artist that made that dope graphic behind you <laughs> for just one episode to put me in there next to you guys. I don't know what I'd go with. I maybe have a microphone or something. Um, you guys got some serious style going on in that. Dude. That's a great looking <laughs> logo. So I just want to be next to you for one episode. All right. <laughs> I will talk to Rich. There we go. Thank you. Thank you for that, Jamie. Okay. Now, shifting focus. Nashville SC reached this level of the playoffs and they go against Philadelphia Union. What was your analysis of the game? They were about 30, not I say Nashville. Nashville were about 30 seconds away from playing the perfect first half against Philadelphia on the road. Philadelphia is a very good team. You're talking about two teams in, in Philadelphia and Nashville that were tied on points, 54 points. Philadelphia gets the tiebreaker because they had, I believe it was 14 wins on the season, uh, two better than Nashville. And then they, each time they played at home, the home team won 1-0. So there was very little. I even asked Jim Curtin, former uh, friend of the show, right? Former guest, Jim Curtin, friend of the show. He asked, uh, I asked him before the game, when I interviewed him before the last game at the end of October, I said, you know, how does this game get decided? Who decides this game? And he goes, I think there's not much between us. I think it's going to come down to one play. And I was like, you know what, leading into that game, I thought if there was only one play that decided the matchup in a regular season game, which was a handball in the box penalty kick, that was it. Really nothing separated them. I thought it's going to be like that magnified. And again, Hani Mukhtar goes and scores in the 39th minute, 1-0 up. They're almost at halftime. One minute of extra time, 46-minute strikes, but the ball goes out for a corner. You just know if it gets cleared, it's, he's going to blow the whistle. It's going to go to half 1-0, and you're, you're in perfect shape. But ball bounces around, Gazdag scores, makes it 1-1, completely different game. 
both teams were very, very tight all the way through second half, extra time, nothing really separating both with some half chances, but it goes to penalties. And I tell you what, Andre Blake makes two good saves. And I even think on the third one, I think Alex Mill was going that way, but Blake jumps a little bit. So I think I've been in this spot before. So I'm going to just, I'm going to put my assumption and opinion on this. I think Alex Moyle maybe caught a little glimpse that Blake went the way he was going. And when you do that, you're like, oh boy, I've got to put a little bit more on this now because he's already going. He's already got a head start, a little jump. And subconsciously you do that. The sky's at high, you know, Joe Willis made a good save to make it one zero through two rounds, kept it close, but ultimately Andre Blake was the difference in the, in the day. And uh, he makes the save there. And, and it was, a fantastic performance from both teams. It was a very good game to watch from a neutral standpoint. And one team advanced, one team didn't. On another day, it could have gone 4-0, you know, one or not 4-0, <laughs> that wouldn't work. But you know what I mean? It could have been all four of them make it, right? And and it could have been complete flip-flop. We could, we could do that shootout between those two teams 10 times. It could be 10 different results along the way. You know what I mean? There's that little that separates them. It just happened to be Philadelphia on the day. Now, like you said, it was a tight game and just truly surprised about how organized they were defensively. Nashville, of course, and you saw glances of good attacking ideas. We wanted to ask you, would this game reflect of what Nashville has been this season? Um, yes and no. I think that it was yes in the sense that it was very organized, didn't make a lot of mistakes, very solid hard to break down. Like I said, almost got to have one zero because on the road um, they can absorb the pressure and break out with devastating fashion. I watched the goal back afterwards. because I was um, curious. because I remember watching this in the game. We did the radio broadcast. Tony husband and I did. Uh, we went to Philadelphia and, and we were there, but we didn't have a TV in the booth. The goal that Nashville scored the cross from Eric Miller. It was just under a minute of game time possession. And I believe it was the 18th pass connected was the cross in from Eric Miller that goes in. You're talking about Philadelphia, one of the better teams that puts teams under pressure. Nashville controlled possession, went side to side, get it wide, get across a run from CJ Sapong, draws Glesnes, I believe it was, and then Hani Mukhtar floats in, lost. One of the best players in the league has an ability to get lost in the box. Um, I think it showed the progression of how this team was playing on the road because they were more progressive and more advanced up the field. So I think that It was an account of that, but um, no, to answer your question, because at home, they were way more on the front foot. They were putting teams pinned in countless attacks time and time again. So they were, they were accurate that they were a little bit cautious in how many times they exposed themselves on the road, but they did a very good job on, on their home turf where they were only the seventh team to go undefeated at home all season in MLS history, they were, they, they took chance after chance there and it was great. It was so fun to watch. So um, it wasn't the most accurate reflection, but if that game's played in at Nissan stadium, you know, then you're sitting there going, okay, well, 50% of the time, they probably sit in a little bit more and break out a little more often. And then at home, the other 50%, they're attacking and attacking and attacking. So um, they did a good job though. I mean, Walker Zimmerman back-to-back defender of the year, In Major League Soccer, he solidified that Joe Willis for the second time in a row led Major League Soccer with shutouts. Hani Mokhtar, it hasn't been decided if he's going to be a VP or not, but, I mean, the guy led MLS with goals and assists. So all the questions that were asked at the beginning of the year, can they be good defensively again? Yes. Can they uh, now add goals to them? Yes. 
can they be good on the road? Yes. I believe they were like three, three and nine on the road. You know, I mean, about as 500 as you can get, which is very good on the road, winning hometown on the road. And can they, you know, make Nissan stadium a fortress? Yes. They were undefeated. So uh, cool stat. I learned along the way, they are the only team in major league soccer since 96, 97 with DC when the league started to as an expansion team win playoff games in back-to-back years. So it's a big deal and they've done really well and they did it in a way that not a lot of people predicted at the beginning of 2020. It's really cool to hear that. I mean, just going back to how, what you were saying about the team being strong at home. I was watching that. I'm a Red Bulls fan. So I was watching that game and I was sweating because at any point Nashville looked like they were going to score. And I'm like, don't, we need to tie. Well, Red Bulls Um, do a great job, man. You see what they did to Philadelphia. They yeah. completely ruined the game plan Philadelphia had. The way they do it, the, the controlled chaos they have with the pressure. Oh, my goodness. Look, everybody's a good soccer player in Major League Soccer. But when you're forced to play faster than you want, that's when you make mistakes. And they had Philadelphia making mistake after mistake. And I thought they were going to – if it went to penalties, Andre Blake is great. We saw that, right? But I, I don't know, man. Like, Carlos Cornell is a pretty good goalkeeper as well, too. So, I, I would have – I would like to see how that would have played out, you know, if they got a Trust yeah, me. That last was crazy and, and getting the goal from Fabio a, a minute in, that had to make you feel a little bit more comfortable getting the goal a minute in, but then Hani Mukhtar did what he does from the, from the free kick. Right. So, I mean, crazy. Yeah. Then the last, the last 30 was just heartbreaking. Oh man. Um, <laughs> now, obviously you talk about how efficient this team has been, you know, and a big, Part of that is, according to uh, their general manager and the front office staff, can you talk to us a little bit about their work and what's behind their success in the last two seasons? Man, Mike Jacobs, as a general manager, has done a brilliant job, but he's got a whole team behind him. It's Chance Myers, the Chiefs guy. You got Oliver Miller-Farrell. Um, you got uh, Alan McKay. You got this wonderful group in there. Uh, Caleb does a great job. They, Augie, the whole group that that people probably don't see what they do from day to day, but all of their day to day stuff sort of goes through and it and it finds these players, right? Like, let's just we'll look at the spine of the team, right? Joe Willis was an expansion draft pick, right? You do your homework when that comes out and. You'll see what the expansion draft with Charlotte coming into the league. You'll see what they can do and see if they can be as effective because Joe Willis has led the league and shut out two years in a row. Right. Then you go just in front of him. Dave Romney was a a $400,000 player from LA galaxy that he was sort of kind of playing there, but not always in sometimes in he starts next to Walker Zimmerman, by the way, back-to-back defender of the year. And they paid just over a million dollars in allocation money. Look what it's done to Nashville defensively. And look what it's done to LAFC defensively. That that bit of business, I, I was shocked when it happened because I never thought Walker would be for sale, right? You know what I mean? Like, that's just insane to me. Then you go in front and you get Dax McCarty, who's the captain of the team, right? The leader on this team, 150000 from Chicago. Anibal Godoy next to him. People thought they overpaid for Anibal Godoy. The guy's got 100 caps for Panama. He's, I don't know if he's, even know if he's 30 yet. You paid 600000 for them. So you got two starting midfielders you paid 750000 allocation money for. You go in front, you get Hani Mukhtar in front, who's an MVP candidate in his second season. CJ Sapong was a free agent signing, right? Chicago didn't think he was good enough. He scores 12 goals here. Just right down your spine. That's scouting. That's, that's prepared. That's understanding the quality of people to mesh with the players. And um, 
man, you just, you, you get a, a, a combination of Walker and Dave in the back. They're just the kind of people that just gel so well on and off the field. Dax and Annabelle have a great understanding together. Hani and CJ worked really well. Randall Leal is one of the best young players in CONCACAF right now. And look, I mean, that's just, I know we're going right up the spine. I can go through and kind of say what I enjoy about each player and that, but the fact that all of those are a good business. Alistair Johnson was a draft pick. Jack Mayer was a draft pick. You get what I'm saying? Like these are CJ, Alistair, Jack, Joe, free players. Dax McCarty, you know, and Annabelle, 750, right? And then Walker and Dave, 1.5, let's call it on top of that, right? So you're talking 2.25 million right there in allocation money to get basically your, I don't know, seven of your starting players right there. Okay, <laughs> decent, I would say. He's absolute brilliance. Yeah, and then, no, that's exactly what ESPN was talking about, how they have been able to identify the players to build the culture, the identity of this team. So that's one of the most surprising things. And following up on that is, and we've noticed a trend like with Philly as well, they use a lot of their academy players and then they just buy these players who are not necessarily the Iguains, the Chicharitos, the Carlos Vela, but they have put the puzzle together, the pieces of the puzzle together to build a successful team. Are we seeing that trend change? Like even with the Rebels myself, like we don't see the big names anymore. No, I mean, I don't, I don't think you need to go outside of this league. Like why, why do you need to, right? Because there's, there's so many good players domestically. And, and if you are going to go outside the league, right? Like I, I, I think it's naive to say that there's not other good players outside of this. I'm saying for a core group of your players, you can find a foundation of this team to fill out roster spots here domestically. And just because you go out and you buy an international player, doesn't mean that he's going to all of a sudden come in and adjust to the way of life to the speed of play of the league, to the quality of the league, it doesn't necessarily translate right away. And I, I don't know. I, I think that anybody that discounts or looks down on the American player, it's incredibly, incredibly ignorant to do that. I think you need to value every player everywhere across the world and look for them and see what they can bring to your team. If you're building a team, if you're a general manager, a coach, sporting director, whatever, but there's value there. You're going to have to do your homework and you have to figure out which players are the right value, both allocation money to acquire the player, salary-wise, what you need to play or uh, what you need, also what you can find internationally so it complements and fits well and, and the right player profile and personal profile, who the person is. But if you can do that, and that's what Nashville has done, right? They weren't doing what Inter-Miami did. And Inter-Miami made their decision of how they wanted to go about things. And that's fine. That's their decision with their brand. It aligns what they want to do. And they think it's what gives them the best opportunity to win. Respect that completely. That's fine. But if you look at what Nashville did, it's a stark contrast to that. And with that, you look at how the two teams have fared in the first two years. Granted, it's a two-year sample size. But you're starting to see that success in Major League Soccer as a expansion team is not linear, right? It's not just you do this, you will have success. Each team is going to do it slightly different. Nashville opted for this route and it's led them to success. I think more teams in the future might look at what Nashville did and say that's a route that I think we should probably travel down, put our own touch on it, make it our own thing that works for us. But there is a way in which this league has produced players that can give you solid performances year in and year out and lead you to home playoff games and an opportunity to make conference semifinals two years on the trot. Now, since this is a results-driven sport, 
what can we expect from management in regard to championships for Nashville SC? Look, I think that that's the goal of everybody, right? That's all 27 teams this season started the first day of preseason in January and said, this is the year we're going to win. The idea is 26 teams are going to say it wasn't our year. There's only one team that's going to fulfill that. I think that you see anything that can happen in, in the playoffs. New England Revolution put together the best season ever in Major League Soccer history while losing the first game of the playoffs. It's not necessarily about what you do on the first day of preseason that's going to lead you to lifting uh, an MLS cup at the end of the season, along the way, there's going to be twists and turns and it's about catching form. Some of it, you can put yourself into the best possible position to succeed with your players and you could get injuries at the wrong time. You've got to just be able to focus on the regular season and do as well as you can, because you see the value of getting home games throughout the playoffs. And in this format, currently the way the playoff structure is, there's one game at home and that matters for the higher seed and that matters a lot and that gives you an advantage so you're rewarded for the the sum of your work over 34 games but a lot of things have to go your way to win a championship and even if you get everything right across 34 games guess what game 35 for the for the new england revolution is where it stopped and they probably thought they were going to have i don't know 37 games this season so it's tough to sit there and say, here's what you need to do to win a championship. If I could tell you that, Christian, Ronnie, if I could tell you that right now, somebody would pay me a lot of money <laughs> in a nice corner office, and they would say, now tell us what you know to win a championship, and um, and we'll see you in, in 12 months' time to tell us again, and we'll do it again the next year. You know, I just – I don't know. There's there's so many different dynamics that go into play, but I think the every time every team should shoot for the playoffs, you know, as, as, a, as a standard – some teams will say, right? Oh, Jim Curtin said it to you. I, I watched the podcast with you guys. He said, what, 10 teams each year probably realistically have a chance to win it. Everybody else is saying it, but you know what I mean? And I thought that was a genius quote because he's he's probably not far off from the truth. That guy knows what he's talking about. So, man, I, it's just no, there's no secret to success. Everybody has to do it in their own way, what works for them. And you got to get a little bit lucky along the way. Absolutely. That's probably one of our favorite quotes from Jim Curtin. Absolutely. Jamie, thanks so much for all the insight. Just wrapping it up soon. One of my questions I had for you, Jamie, straight from the source, obviously you live in Nashville and we've just seen the growth of MLS insanely grow so much over these past few years and Nashville known as a music city. You know, my, my wife was recently down there for a bachelorette party and she was telling me she sees artists at Taco Bell and <laughs> in the street and everywhere. But just for this, for the soccer aspect, and I know Nashville's about to open up their first soccer-specific stadium, probably the biggest one in the whole country. What are you seeing out there, you know, in regards to culture out there in Nashville for soccer? And just straight from the source of what you're seeing out there in the street with the growth of the MLS and, and soccer. It's incredible, man. It's incredible. 30,000 seats uh, in, the, in the stadium opening up soon, May 1st, against Philadelphia Union. Poetic, right? Uh, that'll be the first home game next season. It'll be an incredible atmosphere. One thing that our CEO, Ian Air does a brilliant job of, and um, I'm really fortunate, um, you know, they've been, they've been wonderful to Tony Husband, Kelly Glendening as well. We do the broadcast to our team and all the producers and directors. It's incredible, the group that they've put together to put us in a position to succeed. But we also are, we get to enjoy it too a little bit, right? Because we get caught in some of the awe of it. Our CEO can, and, and all the, everybody in the front office put in countless hours trying to create what feels almost like a music festival on a home game. 
right? Well, that's music acts outside of the stadium, tailgates, partying, everything on the concourse. You're getting the Gibson guitar riff right before a kickoff. You're getting all the cool traditions. When you're the man of the match, they actually take a record and they press the record with the goal call uh, or whatever big play call that, you, that you've created. And I'm upset I, I have mine, but it's actually upstairs um, here at the house. I, I got a record of our, our first uh, first one. It was a great gift from uh, Christina um, in our comms department. And they bill it like this music festival where the headlining act is the match. And I think that's so cool because it's authentic to what Nashville is about. It's something that resonates with everybody. It's a big party, but you're there to feel as though it's not just soccer. It's not just music. It's a healthy combination of both. It's one of the most attractive tickets in town. And you're talking about a place where it's star studded, right? You could stumble into a dive bar and hear uh, a platinum recording artist, right? But there's also uh, bachelorette parties going on. It's a great place to come visit. It's a wonderful, wonderful town. The stadium's in the fairgrounds just off of downtown. I mean, from the stadium, you'll be able to see the the, the skyline of, of downtown um, just off the corner over, over some trees there. And it's, a, it's a, an incredible venue. It's something that I would encourage any fan of an MLS team when you see the schedule and you see you have an away date at Nashville, go. It's awesome. The hospitality, the food, the music, the stadium, everything about it makes it a must-see. And I don't think it'll be very long before we hopefully see a U.S. men's national team or U.S. women's national team or an international match, any high-caliber match played at the game because the stadium will be first class. It'll be a, a cathedral in the Wedgwood Houston area near downtown. And it's, it's a must-see. I've, I've tried to give you the 60 second pitch on it. I would suggest come see it for yourself because it's incredible. Absolutely. We're, we're sold. Me and Christian are in next time New York city or Red Bulls co over there. I think, I think we're in. So Jamie love to grab a beer with you, man. Hey, first one's on me. Uh, like two through 12 are on you guys though. Okay? Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Jamie and Jamie, just like to wrap it up pretty much soon. I wanted to ask you, I think we're just taking two fan questions here from, from our Instagram. Just got to ask you, you know, in regards to your TV analyst uh, role now, how did that role come about? Because I feel like, you know, um, we've interviewed with other TV analysts and reporters, and it's crazy how it all comes full circle. You know, you being a former player now, we see that common transition to a to an analyst. And also the second one was just, um, what are some people that made the biggest impact on you in your playing career? You can answer them in any any order you want. Great question. I mean, I think obviously without my parents, I wouldn't have been able to get to this point. You know, they facilitated my love for the game and the ability to just even get to and from practice and paying for cleats and all that. As a parent now, I understand when the kids are like, oh, I grew out of my shoes. I need new ones. You're like, again, like, yeah, it costs a lot of money. You know that, right? Um, but they were fantastic. They were, they were huge. Obviously, my family, uh, my wife, they were just incredible motivators for me. And as far as soccer, I mean, Brian Dunseth was great for me as, as a rookie. Um, sat next to Eddie Pope when I was in my locker. He was number 23, I was 22, so we sat next to each other. It was amazing. John Ellinger uh, was an incredible coach. John Hackworth uh, was an incredible coach for me as well. Adrian Heath, this little guy, this is one of my favorite gifts. This is Adrian Heath. Uh, Gaffer Gnome, uh, I get the lighting on that right. He was incredible for me. I feel like if I'd had him as a coach earlier in my career too, I would have even had uh, a higher ceiling. Um, he was instrumental for me. Um, you know, I, those are some people and, and countless, I mean, every teammate, right. They made it fun coming into practice and, and there's so much 
God, we'd be here all night just naming each stop along the way who was influential, but hopefully the people that were influential know that. And I've told them that over the years. Um, and then making the transition, I think as a player, I, I, I love the media side of it. And I would get, let's say when I was a player, I would do this interview with you. And then when we were done, I'd be like, Hey, Ronnie, why did you ask this question this way? Or Christian, you, you talked about this, like, like, why did you do that? And I would just try to be a sponge and just soak it up. Cause I enjoyed it sort of like as players, if they like coaching at the end of practice, they may be like, coach, why did we do this today? Or what was the thought process behind this? And just asking questions and learning from people and not everything is good, right? You take everything in, you filter out what doesn't apply. You take on board what does. And Eric Durkee was really good for me um, in Minnesota. He was the PR guy in Minnesota, still is, does a wonderful job. When I tore my knee in 2015, I was done for the season, but he was like, we'll get you out to all of the uh, appearances we can. And um, Andrea Yak, she worked with the team as well. She was great, you know, sort of getting me out as well into the community and integrated. And I met a lot of people through that. And again, I would just ask questions. I would learn, ask whenever, whenever you want to get good at something, ask whoever you think is very good at it, ask them questions, right? If there's somebody that, uh, and social media is great, right? Reach out to anybody, anybody, the highest paid celebrity uh, to just like normal people like us. We all have social media. We all check it. You may see a message. You may send something. You may just, you know, take your chance at asking a question and they may go, you know what, here we go. I'm going to answer this. And, and you never know what somebody's going to say. People are a lot more relatable and people like to impart advice and wisdom on others and um, some more than others, but you never know. And just ask people that you admire and learn from people you admire and not everything's going to work for you the same will for them, but that's kind of what I did as, as a player. I saw what the media was doing and I watched commentators that I thought were good. I was like, I really like that they did this. And then some commentators would say some bad stuff. And I'd be like, I, I would never say that if I was them. And you just try to figure out who you are by what you've learned from others. And I don't know, that's kind of what I did. It worked for me. It's working for me and I'm still learning, right? Like I'm appreciative of you guys and, and letting me bunny here. I've learned some stuff from you guys throughout this, the course of this. I'll always learn from it. And then, you know, not too much stuff that I'll filter out. So that means it was, it was really good. You guys are great. So, you know, um, yeah, I mean, that's how I made my transition. It won't be the same for the next person. It could be similar. And if there's a player asked me what to do, I would say, whatever you want to do, ask people questions of, that are already doing it and learn from them and just try to emulate it. Other people can be your best learning tool. No, absolutely, Jamie. Now, we just want to say thank you so much for your time. Us as MLS fans, as soccer fans, we're really happy that we have a short little gap between the next uh, MLS season. I know we're starting a little early next season in February, so we're definitely looking forward to what Nashville can bring to the table for next season because you guys were a force to be reckoned with at home. Like, you know, we did not want to play you guys at home. Uh, I know Christian that day, Red Bulls, he, he was messaging me like, oh, man, he was he was sweating. He was sweating for sure. So. Uh, but Jamie, thank you so much. And we hope to bring you back again down the road. We really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right, guys. That was the interview with Jamie Watson. What a guy. Christian, you were on with me on that one. What you think of Jamie Watson, man? Let me get your takes real quick. I mean, he shared a lot of great insight. I think one of the things that I loved about it is that whenever they had that playoff game against Philly, I wish they would have we would have got the chance to see both sides of Nashville because they are a dangerous team. And also I love, he talked about management and look what they just did a couple of days ago. They, they got our guy from the rebel, Shana Kira Davis. 
and they just continue to build and build and, and, and they're looking to progress each season to make progress each season. So I can't, I can't wait to see what this team can do. Yeah. Maybe perhaps they're not at the MLS cup level, but they're getting close. They're getting closer and closer. And I think that's what a lot of clubs need to take a look at. Appreciate it. And we want to give a huge thanks to our boy Vas, official member coming up now for the 2022 season. Vas, thanks for being on, man. Uh, let's get out of here. Just say, say what you want to say real quick. Gentlemen, again, thank you so much for having me part of this incredible little journey that we're starting the year off on. And great to hear from all you. And hopefully we're starting off the year, right? Yeah, and that's my take. That's my goodbye. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, new year, new me. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm still the same person. Uh, nah, listen. Uh, we're off to a great start to the year. UCL is looking good. World Cup is around the corner. And Vinny is just tearing teams apart. You know, I can't wait to see this guy develop. And I'm hearing rumors of Mbappe and Haaland to Madrid. Ah, 2022 is going to be a fantastic year. Thank you all for listening. And we'll catch you in the next one, episode 45. I appreciate it. Hugh, let's get out of here, man. You know what to do. All right, thanks. So thank you to everybody for listening. Uh, make sure to check us out on Instagram at Soccer Subs Podcast. The same thing on Twitter and YouTube. Uh, it's been a real pleasure being able to record tonight with the guys. I hope you enjoyed the stuff we put out. And so if you want to see more of that, make sure to check us out on our Instagram, our Twitter. We post daily stuff there or almost daily stuff there. We give you clips and insight into what we're doing. Make sure to check us out. Well, appreciate it. And a huge thanks to Jamie Watson. We'll see you guys in the upcoming week or two for episode 45. We're already getting through our mid-40s. And we'll see you guys soon. Take care. Have a good one.